Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What a After a huge win in preseason, it's important to keep your feet on the ground asking the simple question, how early will we have the league wrapped up? This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. A lot to get to today, including that aforementioned preseason game. We're going to talk about how we played and why we played well, and then what that means for the squad and transfers potentially, because it's that time of year and that's top of mind. So I hope you're doing well wherever you are. Thank you so much for being here. But before we get started today, we're going to talk to Mike from the Gooners Pod. Uh, you probably heard him on this podcast before. You may have heard him even on his podcast, Gooners Pod, but probably not. But we say that to be polite. Regardless, the most important thing about Mike is that he supports a great cause, the Gooners versus Cancer Charity. You can find that great cause on Twitter at Gooners v. Cancer. That's at Gooners v. Cancer. We're going to talk real quickly, just for a couple of minutes here, about something, uh, initiatives they're working on right now, so you can get behind that and support that. And then we'll get on with the, obviously, really important stuff of talking about Arsenal preseason. But Mike is here, and he's going to tell us about Gooners versus cancer hello mike thank you elliot and yeah I, I do talk quite frequently it's just normally there's not anybody listening but this that all changes when you invite me on for your uh for your show so thank you appreciate your support i appreciate your dry sense of humor and uh and your your listeners i don't know if they have like a name like the goonies or the squaddies or something but the listeners have been outstanding and i just uh i wanted to say thank you for that so you have gamers in your in your uh in your fan base Oh, yeah. I mean, look, the one thing that we know uh, is that in this day and age, I think pretty much everyone plays games at some level. I'm not like the wear the headset and have the Twitch stream on in the background kind of guy, but I am definitely a uh, sneak out when my wife is trying to put the kids to bed and tell her I have to get work done and play a a, a cheeky FIFA soccer game. They're Um, always cheeky. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And and, based on the way that that the, the, you know, that our supporter base talks about transfers, you'd think every single one of them plays like ultimate team or something like that. But the reason I funny, by the way, that I, I just noticed super quick, I always call it football, but for some reason it'll always be FIFA soccer when I'm talking about the video game because that's like growing up before I was even a fan, I played the game like that's what it was called, FIFA soccer. You, you don't, so it's funny, you don't just, call it FIFA soccer 94, even though I, it's, I still 94. call it F- <laughs> FIFA soccer 84. Everything's everything's 94 <laughs> if you're as old yeah. as you and I are. But anyway, uh, so yeah, we're doing a tournament. It's a Champions League, second annual one. Uh, whether you have an Xbox or PlayStation, you can take part. It was a load of fun last year. You know, we got probably over $2,000 in donations from registrations. But what really stood out was the community that kind of came out of that tournament. People connected from around the world. Uh, spirit of competition was high, charity. So it's it, basically $25 donation to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society to enter. And you can go to the following websites. It's www.gvcfifaxbox.live. I know that's a that's a handful, but it's GVC for Gunners versus Cancer, GVC FIFA Xbox Live for the Xbox version, or GVC FIFA PlayStation Live for the PlayStation version, 
you enter the you enter the tournament, follow the directions, make your donation, and uh, and then I'll be in touch to kind of let you know your group assignments. And the the deadline to register is this Thursday, the 29th of July, and then the competition will start on the first, finish up on the 12th, and then the next day we got Brentford. And uh, yeah, amazing, isn't it? Takes off, so. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's such a good cause. And we've talked in the past about why you're involved with it and why it's important to you and supporting the the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So like we don't need to necessarily cover that ground again. I think one thing that we want to do here on our on our podcast and within our community is just be more philanthropic, more charity oriented. So working with you has been great to do that. Uh, Obviously, working with the Arsenal Foundation as well. And we'll have more on that. But, uh, you know, another way that we're trying to um, really support the Gunners versus Cancer cause is at our Vegas event in August. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what you have planned for that? Because I know that that's going to be a big part of uh, getting together in in a couple of weeks. Absolutely, which I cannot wait for. I appreciate uh, you including and involving me in, uh, in in this event. It's going to be a heck of, heck of a good time. Um, and, uh, and there's a special event for Gunners versus Cancer that centers around that event. And it really is more of just kind of a Arsenal vision community gooner type of thing you actually don't have to be in vegas in order to participate uh but if you are of course we'll get a chance to you know to hang out and and uh and enjoy the charity life and uh, and maybe have a few frosted beverages of some sort as well uh but the website for that is www.gvcvegas.com and that website is live it was just set up uh yesterday and uh, there's going to be a special raffle. You can win a signed kit of your choice from Lee Dixon, Alan Smith, or Super Kevin Campbell. You get to choose which one of them. You get to kind of tell them within the within some level of reason what you'd like them to sign on the uh, on the shirt. I mean, I, they've they've gone pretty far, but not as far as as some people would probably like. But uh, but that's the first prize. The second prize is a new personalized Arsenal kit of your choice. It can be the first, second, or, or, or I'm sorry, the home away or third jersey. Um, and then there's also Ruth Beck art. Uh, she's got some amazing prints, kind of Highbury related, Arsenal related, and we're giving out five of those as well. So uh, you again, you don't have to be there to win. You don't have to be there to enter. Just go to gvcvegas.com, and we'll be talking about that a lot in the lead up to Football Fest. Yeah, can't wait to see you there and and help raise money for a great cause. I mean, you've been doing this a long time now. You put a lot of time and a lot of work into it. It's really admirable how hard you work at this. And um, someday you know, I get I, to see my family again. It'll be it'll be cool when I get to reunite with them. Oh no, I, I think they're perfectly happy with you putting your time into this too. So <laughs> every, everybody wins, especially <laughs> Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. They That's keep most telling important. me how proud they are, and then and and uh, you know now I'm starting to wonder. Uh, well, I, I'm proud of you, buddy. I'm proud yeah. of you. And well, I'm proud of everybody giving and supporting. So uh, you can find more information again at Gooners v. Cancer on Twitter. Um, what's the website again? Uh, the, the overall website yeah. is GoonersVCancer.com. We're also on Instagram. Uh, my friend Jared Carver, who's, uh, who's, who's a great guest on our podcast, but also a really, really good guy, uh, has been helping me out with Instagram because I am 48 years old and, and don't really know how to do Instagram. Mm. Uh, although I've been doing a lot of TikTok videos lately. Those are, those are exciting. Uh, not. How do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> Dot gif. <laughs> All right. Well, exactly. before you get in any more trouble hanging out with kids way too young for your age group, we'll leave it there because you were doing so good for such a good cause before you made it weird. Uh, you should you should definitely get following, get giving, get supporting. Uh, and for any more information, you can go to at Gunners v. Cancer um, on Twitter or the website Mike Listed or the Instagram page or check out his TikTok videos. Uh, but don't check out his TikTok videos. Mike, always a pleasure to talk to you, especially about this. Thank you, Elliot. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to seeing you in Vegas.
Absolutely. All right. We're going to take the shortest of breaks and come back with uh, actual Arsenal preseason stuff, which is, of course, uh, most important critical topic of the day. Here we go. Okay, well, now we are with the regular crew to talk about the regular stuff. But before we do that, I just want to say we have one initiative that we are launching, which is um, we want to create some interesting limited series this season, uh, telling stories that are a little different than the stories we normally tell, obviously about the Arsenal. But what I realize is that without European competition, uh, not only do we have the chance to hashtag focus on the league, but we have the chance to maybe get a little more creative with the podcast time. And if launching this sort of podcast merchandise taught me anything... I basically went to Brandon and said, hey, can you design this bingo mug? And then he just went off with his imagination and his creativity and came up with all this incredible stuff. And I realized there's so much talent in this community among all of us. Um, obviously, not so much in the podcast, but outside the podcast, definitely. And tapping into that just makes sense. So what we want to do is get your thoughts on something you'd want to be a part of if you want to create something with us. If you just want to be a listener, we're happy to have you for that. But if you have an idea for something that might be a three-episode run, a five-episode run, whatever it may be, I'd love to hear it. Now, obviously, it's going to be difficult to, you know, we're only going to be able to do a couple of these. So I, I say that, obviously, with the idea that not all of them will get made. But if you go to arsenalvisionpodcast.com and click on limited series, you can let us know what your idea is. Uh, there's, a, there's a form there. You can fill it out. You can write down what you're thinking. And we'll try to create a couple of these this season so that we can tell some new stories in some interesting ways and cover some topics that maybe wouldn't occur to us to cover in the regular podcast. Now, this won't be in lieu of all the usual nonsense, complaining about the games, complaining about transfers, maybe even being happy about that stuff. I don't know. Uh, your mileage may vary. But would love to get involved, engaging more of the just immense creativity that's out there to make some interesting stuff. And obviously, if we select something and and wind up making some of these limited series, that will be compensated, of course. We uh, we would definitely want to bring people into the team and, and enlarge what we're able to do uh, as part of the podcast. So if you want to do that, you can certainly go there and do that. Now, uh, having gotten that out of the way, Tim is on Twitter at Stoberto. Welcome back, Tim. Thank you very much. Hello there. Hello. And Paul's on Twitter. Pause now my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo. Woohoo, indeed. So... By the way, one of the things that uh, we're going to be doing is I'm going to be working on different ways to record this podcast, trying different methods over the next couple of weeks uh, when Clive's involved primarily because uh, Clive's rich baritone is so wonderful, but it is an audio engineering challenge. So as we try these different methods, uh, if one of them is better than the other, great. If one of them is worse than the other, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll, we'll fix that uh, eventually. So. We're going to talk first and foremost about Arsenal winning a football match. And I should point out, by the way, that Rangers beat Real Madrid and we drew Rangers. So we are better than Real Madrid. Uh, so that's good. We've confirmed that. And uh, if we ever get into the Super League, we'll definitely batter them. So that's good news. But, Paul, we, we played really fun football in this game. And I realize that preseason doesn't matter. But, you know, if we're going to watch it and analyze it, I'd much rather watch us play well have fun, look good, and have players perform relatively well rather than what we saw uh, in the games in Scotland. And I think it is uh, worth noting that you get this sort of exponential improvement in preseason because you're playing with fewer kids. You're playing with more first-team players. They've been in camp a little bit longer, and it's starting to look a little bit more like football rather than a training exercise. So there are a number of things that came out of this game that I think are really interesting. And the first one I want to start with weirdly is right back because Callum Chambers has no goal and assist in this game. We are chasing a center back. We are chasing a goalkeeper and I can certainly be upset about that later if you'd like me to. <laughs> we are uh, probably going to chase a Shaka replacement if Shaka indeed winds up going among a few other odds and ends. Backup left back done, backup central midfielder done. 
right back looks like the one that probably won't be part of our incomings this summer. Bellerin might go. I think he will go. I think Maitland-Niles will go. And that leaves Cedric and Chambers. So it's probably time to decide if Callum Chambers is Arsenal's starting right back caliber, at least for the short term. And in this one game, I think what he showed us is from an attacking standpoint, he really can be uh, influential. Again, preseason notwithstanding. So let's talk a little bit about Callum Chambers, Paul. I mean, what kind of fullback is he? Because, you know, we have this bombing forward, overlapping, all action, incredibly talented left back in Kieran Tierney. But it's not immediately evident to me that you want your right back doing the same thing as your left back if you want to keep some kind of structure and stability in your formation, both in and out of possession. So how do you evaluate Chambers, not just in terms of quality, but maybe in terms of the dynamic he brings to that position? Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting, especially when you think that the big move we're making in the market at the moment is Ben White as a right center back. And uh, assuming we play in a, with a back four, then uh, he's going to be doing progressive passes up the wing to somebody. And Callum Chambers is really good at swinging in crosses. Uh, the, the Cafu... Uh, moniker has been thrown around jokingly by uh, folks as as esteemed, if we can say that, as uh, Carraher and seems to have stuck. Um, <clears throat> but he's really good at putting in crosses. Um, like if you think of Callum Chambers uh, going back six, nine months ago, you kind of think of a guy who's probably pretty good defensively. And as you go further up the pitch, provides less and less. And in many ways, He's kind of confounded that um, his eye-catching contributions are when he gets into the final third. Um, and then when you think that he played as a, a kind of a central center mid DM, wasn't it for Fulham that he was like player of the season for them or something? Mm -hmm. um, and when you think of how certain managers, including Arteta, will use a, mid, uh, a fullback in midfield, that gives him options there where he should be very comfortable. He doesn't have to be the world's greatest DMCM, just a good one. Um, and he gives us options there. So he provides a very good platform while, as you say, uh, it looks like plan A is to have Tierney and uh, Tavares as options to So that whether Tierney's available or not, we can use the left wing and bomb up that left wing. So uh, it gives us two different options there and uh like chambers just looks really good going forward somehow you don't always have to be the fastest guy on the pitch D tierney might need that tavares might need that but chambers if we think of the west ham game it, we didn't put come back when we were three zero down because chambers was the guy tearing up the wing but it was chambers who who joined the attack and put in those crosses and connect play and that's that's kind of my Callum Chambers. That's what I I visualize us playing well. What Callum Chambers looks like. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard. I sometimes you just have to be honest that your opinions aren't necessarily based on specific concrete evidence or information. Like I I don't think there's anything wrong with just having a sense of something if you're just willing to admit that's what it is, right? And my sense yeah. has been. I've never really thought Callum Chambers was good enough. Maybe it's because he started out as a center back for us. 
And he probably is not good enough for that. I think we could probably agree there. And then he goes off to Fulham and he plays DM. And he's their you know, player of the season, but that's not a position he plays for us. And then he comes back and he's sort of used as a fullback, which I never really thought of him as primarily, not because he hasn't played it for us. I mean, there was the Montero game, obviously, which maybe, not maybe, definitely, we've, we've overestimated the importance of that mm-hmm. singular experience. And then there's the DM situation at Fulham, and there's the center back. He played for us not particularly effectively, and it's all kind of mixed together in my head to paint this picture of a guy that I'm not particularly high on. But I'm not sure that I can support that with any evidence of the way he plays generally. I mean, I think by and large, he is a pretty good fullback who doesn't necessarily possess the qualities that I specifically identify body type for one thing, but also just mm. maybe from a pace standpoint that I equate with that position. So now can, it's time. Can I add, to, one, yeah. mm-hmm. Please, can add one thought, which was, you know, I was, I was actually looking at when people played last year and I think we'll, we'll all pretty much remember it this way, but as soon as he came in, he came in for the Burnley game, uh, which was match week 27 then he mixed the, missed the next game that was Bellerin. And then the game after that was West Ham. And pretty much from there on, not every game, but almost every game, Arteta picked him for his fullback. Uh, you know, there's about 10 games in a row after that, uh, including the West Ham game. And he missed one game uh, where we played Bellerin. And then he missed a couple of others where he came on as a sub, but the rest, he was our starting fullback. So uh, there might be some serious intent uh, to use him this season. I know we're supposed to be looking at a right back in the market, but that would be if we're also looking at Tammy Abrahams and we're looking at all the other players, that's eight players. I don't think any of us think we'll get all eight. Something's got to give. Maybe Chambers is our starting fullback. I I think it's not just can we get all the business done. I think it is an open question whether you want to bring in Mm. too many first-team players. I mean, why stop there? Three more and you got a full team. Well, that exactly. I mean, you get to the point where you're like, all right, we got Ben White will be a new starter. The party partner presumably will be a new starter. The rest of the team actually looks fairly settled other than backups, unless you get like a James Madison who becomes a new starter. But I... I'd be okay with bringing in a right back, but I I think, Tim, it's now a question of really starting to ask, can Callum Chambers be the first choice right back for a season? I'm not prepared for Cedric to be that guy, personally. I I think we've Mm -hmm. seen enough Cedric to know it's not that he's a bad player. I hate these binaries of good versus bad. I don't think the level is high enough where we want Mm -hmm. him playing 30, 35, 28, you know, in that range, Premier League games for us. So the question is, can Chambers do that? at a level that's high enough. I, I want to not just explore this from that standpoint, Tim, in terms of whether he's good enough, but maybe strategically, tactically, how we use him slightly differently, right? So if you look yeah. at Liverpool, they don't use a number 10, right? They don't have that guy from midfield who joins the attack so much, but it's largely because they bomb both fullbacks forward, right? Robertson and TAA both go forward. And if you want to create that sort of two, three, five shape when you're building up, you you have to sort of decide where you want to get that extra attacker from. So if we're going to send, let's say, a Smith Rowe forward to get into the box and things like that, you can't also send both of your fullbacks forward. We know Tierney's going to overlap and bomb forward. So then the question is, does Chambers work as that guy, you know, kind of like what we saw with Bellerin at times, tucking into midfield? You know, and, and that'll be interesting to watch. I also think it's a question of how they benefit the player they're playing next to. If it's Saka or Pepe, 
unlocking them is really important and you want a fullback that works for them. So far, I think the early returns with Chambers and Pepe playing together look pretty decent. But do you have a sense of how we would play tactically differently or better or what the, what the nuance might be to using Chambers as our right back this season, both in terms of his yeah. quality, but also in terms of his style of play? Yeah, so I think there's three really interesting things going on um, here. Well, there's more than that, actually, but the, the three I'm going to talk about so that I don't talk for 15 minutes. Please I do. Mean, the first one... <laughs> we haven't had you on in a couple episodes. Go, go, go to town. <laughs> the, the, fir- the first one is the contract situation. We're led to, but I think he's got one year left, but with an option for another year. And so I imagine that that kind of means he's got two years left, in which case, you know, it doesn't sound like we're extending the contract beyond that so it does kind of say i I think everything points to if this happens it will just be a one season job because we're kicking the can down the road which i think makes a lot of sense for all the reasons you pointed out um and and, you know how happy he'll be with that i don't know And, and also i think when you've had a player a while there's maybe less emphasis on getting loads of money for them when you've had when you've got like willock or nelson it's like come on let's get paid for these guys if we're not gonna if we haven't got a plan for them whereas when you've had we've had chambers seven years now this will be his eighth season i think there's less of an imperative there and he'll still be quite young in english so he'll be quite sellable next year if that's what that's what ends up happening i think the other the second thing that's really Im- quite important here as well in terms of chambers tactical role is now we have a left back that does what tierney does so you know one of the big things that went wrong i mean i suppose it went wrong in the europa league more than the premier league where our results were good at the end of the season but one thing we're not going to have to do anymore is put Xhaka at left back and say right okay we can't do the things up the left that we used to do so now we have to switch the focus to the right like with with um Tavares and Tierney like we've basically got not the same quality of player but the same type of player there pretty much all the time so that locks up what we do at right back I think um I think the other really interesting thing here is I was looking up um some stuff around Ben White because I wanted to know more about that signing and I think um, a lot of the activity points to Arteta wanting to squeeze Arsenal up the pitch. I think that's why he's quite happy to say goodbye to Xhaka. He wants someone who can do what Xhaka does, but 10 yards further up, perhaps. Um, he wants, I think in Ben White, he wants someone that can do what Louise does, but that doesn't go crying into row 10 when someone attacks. <laughs> and one of the things that, and one of the things that Ben White's really good at apparently um, is like dry, a driving with the ball, which neither Xhaka or Louise can do. But um, you know, I watched some good uh, Tifo videos on like what Ben White does, and one of the things they said he's really good at is covering over to the right, like covering the right back. And I mean, he, he didn't have to do that. I mean, I guess he did that in a way at Brighton because he was on the right of a back three. But they were saying even at Leeds when they played in a back four. They play Luke Ayling at right back, right? So he's pushed right up. He's like their Tierney. He's pushed right up. And Ben White covers that area. Now, the other players that um, Arteta has recruited in defence, Pablo Mari and Gabriel, one of the things they're both really good at is covering an advanced left back. And I think that was part of the reason they were both recruited. They're both good at shuffling over to the touchline and making that slide tackle when it needs to be made. And apparently Ben White does that on the right as well. So that does make me wonder a little bit whether Arteta wants the right back to be slightly more enterprising. And I do think Chamber, it, it's I, I get what you mean. It's weird, isn't it? Because you don't really consider him a great attacker as such. 
But one thing he's he's done really well is that arrive late and then whip in the cross thing. Like I, I don't think I really want him so much like combining with the right winger and playing one twos and trying to inch up the pitch. I think Chambers is effective when he effectively stays back, like that West Ham game, and you've got someone like Erdgaard over there, and then he arrives at the last minute and just lashes that cross in. Yeah. And so I, I wonder if I wonder whether a we want Arteta wants to see a bit more of that, or b whether he does envisage um, actually the right back being slightly more enterprising somehow, or at least getting more out of Callum Chambers' delivery. And I think he sees Ben White as a key part of that. Yeah, you know what's hard, right? Like, if I close my eyes and think about Callum Chambers out on the right wing, isolated against the left winger, I'm just naturally really scared of that situation. But I think one thing that we've talked about a lot on this podcast is fullbacks one-on-one with these really tricky, pacey, technically proficient wingers that we see in the Premier League now that's hard for any of them. We've seen Tierney get beat in that situation. We will see Chambers get beat in that situation. You don't, you really don't want your fullback isolated one-on-one in those kind of circumstances. And it really is the job of a Pepe to come back and be the second man back or, you know, whoever's playing left wing to help cover back um, and support Tierney. Or maybe it's someone dropping in from midfield like it would be a Shaka dropping in there last season or Thomas Party coming over to help. So I, I think these situations where your fullback is the guy who has to defend the tricky winger, that just doesn't work anymore. You don't want them isolated one-on-one. And we do know that he can be beaten for pace. I, I do think that his delivery in the final third is excellent. I don't know if I see him as, you know, to, to your point, that sort of tippy-tappy ball progression kind of fullback in a way that actually Hector Bellerin was quite good at for a, a long time. But I'm I'm warming to the idea that we can we can make that work for this season if other things get done. And, you know, there's so much focus on midfield. Paul, the one thing that I think is really exciting is the, I mean, again, everything has to be a caveat about preseason, which gets tiring, but Thomas Party looks awesome. He really does. And he was sensational in this game. And whether you want to dismiss it as preseason, this, that, the other thing, the fact is that we know Party struggled last season at times with injury, then coming back. And it was, it was really a broken up season for him. When he played, there were times he was excellent, but he did throw in the occasional clunker as he you know, tried to cope in a team that was a little dysfunctional and without consistent football. He looks great right now, and I thought he was fantastic in this game. And I, I think as you watch him carry the ball forward and drive into the final third and provide access to central spaces that we've lacked, there is really this, this growing excitement in me of what party could be, especially if we give him a slightly different partner and really take the reins off a bit. So do you agree that he was you know, a starring role in this game and someone who can have a big, big influence on on how our season goes this upcoming season? Yeah, very much so. I think, um, like, I agree. The preseason is always challenging because, like, basically you have to have disposable opinions that you can't be held to. Um, You can only judge within the framework of what you're seeing there. But, yeah, he looks great. And what you'd want from him and people like Pepe is coming back in really enjoying preseason. I don't mean fooling around. I mean, just like enjoying the football, enjoying the playing, getting into it. They'll have a little more space than they will during during the regular season. But just because you have a little more space doesn't mean you can light it up. There, you know, there, there were other players who had a little more space on both sides who did not light it up. But Party stepped into the gap and like 
started zinging it around. And yes, what we need is a partner for party, um, which allows him to be more adventurous. I mean, last year was a big adjustment year for him in a few ways. Obviously, changing coach, like he arrived at the very last minute of the transfer deadline window. I'm not at all convinced he knew he was coming in the first place. So there's a huge mental adjustment, moving your life. He got an injury early on just as he was getting into things. And then he joins us halfway through the season when we're kind of uh, fighting off the pack of wolves chasing us. It's not your ideal introduction to a team, uh, you know, uh, shit coming at you from every angle. So now he has a proper preseason and can settle into it. I think one other transition from last year is he was never given this freedom at uh, Atletico Madrid. He'd get moments or sections of games where they'd give him a little more freedom, but it was always his responsibility to co cover for somebody like uh, Saul uh, or one of the boys to coke uh, to let them do the more exciting stuff and he'd get he'd show stuff from time to time but really he was uh the supporting act in midfield for them even though he had all this ability it's just atletico madrid doesn't need three people uh lighting it up so now he gets potentially to be the man and that's an adjustment for him uh, within game because he still has great responsibility given the amount of you know, if it's him and Chak or him and Sabayas or even an El Neni, uh, Party is the guy who physically can cover more of the midfield. So whether he likes it or not, uh, when we let him do more uh, moving forward, being more progressive, he still knows he needs to judge the times to switch back to defensive cover mode. Uh, we also used him a number of times where he was pretty close to our uh, our six and everybody else was pushed up. And he was the solo midfielder. So, um, you know, we've asked him to do different things. Um, so it's, it's, he had a lot of adjusting to do last year. It'll be really interesting to see who his partner is, whether it's something like a Neves, who kind of liked Chaka, but with more defensive hustle than Chaka, is kind of a deep passer, which would certainly allow and make sense for a party to push forward. Or would it be somebody with more of a Basuma profile? Uh, who can truly provide a screen and cover for party getting forward. But I think either way, that person is is going to allow party to do more, a little bit more of a box to box. And uh, I think he'll have a lot more fun for us and can contribute to help. We'll see more of the party stuff. And generally, you know, when you look at uh, Ben White, when you look at getting the support for Tierney with Tavares, it looks to me like uh, it's toothpaste time. We're pushing it up the tube. We're going to be more progressive. We're, we're going to want more possession. We're going to play with a higher line. And we're going to need, uh, we can't have two screening midfielders. Somebody's got to push up and, and, and seize the gaps and, and receive in progressive positions. And I think it'll be party time. Yeah, and I think a lot of what's going to decide the kind of season party has and the kind of role he plays for us is somewhat the kind of system we settle into. And Tim, I think this this speaks to the transfer business we may or may not do as well. Um, if Shaka doesn't go, and I, I haven't really contemplated that, I just assumed he would, but there's sort of conflicting reports about whether this is going to happen. And I don't think we're just going to let Roma have him cheap. I mean, you could say $20 is already cheap. If Shaka doesn't go... 
we probably go right back into that 4-2-3-1 formation. And you play with Smith Rowe in front of the two, and we all know how that works. Maybe even if Shaka goes, maybe we do that. There's also a lot of people that think we're trying to switch to a 4-3-3, but I think if we do that, it's very clear in my mind that Party becomes the DM, right, so to speak, the guy who sits at the base with two eights, Smith Rowe, and maybe that James Madison type or someone else. You know, maybe it's Sack and Smith Rowe, who knows? I think that formation decision is going to influence party's role and our business a lot and i'm curious as we sort of move through the preseason and get to see more if you have a sense of which direction he's leaning personally it looks like a four two three one to me i still see us playing with a double yep. pivot and one in front um you know and, and we touched on this in the previous pod to say well you know you could, positions aren't set and why do you have to call it a four two three one or a four three three it's where the players play on the pitch yeah you can say that but you can't tell me that playing with shaka is the same as playing with James Madison, right? I mean, it, it's a very different, yeah. it's a very different dynamic. So, do you have a sense of which of those we might choose, or you'd like to choose, and how that trickles down to the to the personnel on the pitch? So, I think I think the four two three one eventually will become the four three three. I do think that will be dictated by personnel. Um, I think there are a few things to shake out. Like, I wonder if, like, I tend to think something like Willock and Odegaard, for example. I think those might be tied together like I don't think we'll let Willock go until we get a number 10 um, and if we don't I think we'll keep Willock and Willock would suit a 4-3-3 much more I also think party could could and probably would be the middle piece of that 4-3-3 and there'd be someone behind him so it'd be an other party and Smith Rowe potentially um, I think I, I think maybe to change tack slightly. Mm-hmm. Well, no, no, not slightly, but um, just to give you... <laughs> Talk about the weather? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just to, I guess, let people in on the back channel. I, I, I intended to share a voice note in our WhatsApp uh, last week after listening to the last podcast that I wasn't on, and uh, my stupid phone fucked it all up and it, <laughs> it didn't come out. Um, but this kind of this this question plays into some of the stuff um, I left on the voice note um, for something I intended to write about. Well, I'll be dying um, to hear about it because because we never <laughs> got to hear it. Oh wait, no. did, did you did you hit us with a, I've just written about this or is this a, I'm going to write about? This? No, I, I'm actually not because I've kind of already done it. Okay. Um, it's like that uh, movie where Kevin Costner's wife dies and she leaves a message in a bottle that eventually washes up on the shore. <laughs> Oh yeah, well, let's let, uh, wash it up, Tim. Let's see what's in the bottle. <laughs> so, so essentially, what what I was going to say, based on your discussion on the last pod that I wasn't on, was about Xhaka and the Xhaka replacement. I do think that will get done. I think eventually, someone's going to fold either us or Roma. I think it will get done. And I think the thing is for me, the Xhaka replacement will define this rebuild completely and utterly. Um, and when you look at the signing of Xhaka, so the guy who replaces. It, so let's just look at the signing of Xhaka purely from like, I guess, a fiscal or football business point of view. We signed him five years ago. He's been an absolute lock in the first 11 for four and a half of those years. Very, very rarely unavailable, fit all the time. Really, really important key player. That That's how important that position is. Now, whether he came up, so so from a, like an actual kind of, I guess, fiscal transfer point of view, you'd turn around and say successful transfer. We bought a central midfielder for £35 million. He was in the team for five years. And at the age of 29, we've sold him off to Serie A. That is probably exactly how Arsenal envisaged this transfer going. Um, now, the question 
It really is. But was Xhaka quite up to the real mark that we wanted? And this is a little bit reductive, but we finished second when we signed Xhaka and we haven't been back in the top four since. Not to lay that all at his door, but I think that shows you how important this position is. And it is especially important in the way that Arteta wants to play. And really, this signing has to be similar from the point of view of this has to be someone on a five-year contract, for example, who is an absolute lock in the team, week in, week out, who's always available, who becomes the fulcrum of the team, um, potentially becomes a captain. Maybe when, if and when he does become captain, he doesn't throw the armband on the floor and tell the fans to fuck off. Be better. I think um, it'd be better. Yeah, You're, you <laughs> Not know. a great career move, that one. Mm-hmm. But you know... Sensible people can disagree. But, you know. So this, this piece has to be... Like, there are other bits. Like, if Arsenal sign a number 10 this summer, and unless it's James Madison and it costs 60 million, I, I don't think it will. I, I think they'll kind of, now they've got Smith Rowe locked in, I, I think they'll, they'll like, lower their sights maybe a little bit on that. Like, I don't think that will make or break the rebuild. This will. This position will. Because this, this, whoever it is, is going to have to be a regular for five years. And it's the same for party. Um, and the thing with party as well, I, I feel like I was... Well, I was a bit harsh on him last season, which is not to say I think he's rubbish. He's clearly not. Like He has got elite skill set. He really has, and we saw it from time Mm -hmm. to time. Um, And I think all the reasons Paul points out um, makes it understandable why perhaps we only saw it from time to time. But from him as well, it has to be, it can't be, there's elite potential there. Sometimes it has to be every week. Has to be, has to be, has to be. Same with the party partner. And the other thing I'd say in closing about Xhaka is no matter what you think of his quality, I don't doubt for one second from everything I've seen and heard that every single week and every single day, we got the best granite Xhaka probably wasn't good enough, but I think he put his absolute all into that, into being available, into playing to the absolute best of his ability. And that's what party and his partner whoever that's going to be have to do as well they have to they have to take a leaf out of Jacques's book in that respect it can't be i was great one week and well yeah not so great like it has to be full commitment playing every week playing to the best of, of ability and then it really that's why it's going to come down to the quality of the scouting and the recruitment because whoever this person is has to be shit hot basically and and i really think that edu and arteta's jobs and this rebuild will live and die by that signing and by whether party can turn his kind of last season's Abu Dhabi trick into, let's say, more of a Patrick Vieira trick to set the ball. It is, it, it, it is an easy bar to get over, and I don't see any reason why we won't get there. I mean, the the irony, of course, is I actually don't think anyone would have disagreed with you going into this summer, but... Uh, Edu and Arteta have given you the hold my beer as they chase uh, goalkeeper and center back as priority one. So, so, which I'm not saying is wrong. I'm just saying it's a different way to go. Now we may go central midfield as well, but Paul, let me ask, let, let me put an impossible level of uh, expectation then on a brand new player because we got to see Albert Sambi Lakanga play in this game. By the way, if you want a detailed, detailed breakdown of who he is from an every week uh, Belgian league watcher over on the Patreon side, Uh, Scott actually sat down and spoke with a qualified expert, unlike the three of us. So you can listen to that if you want. But I thought Lakanga looked great. And, you know, it is the case that you can scout a guy and listen to other people talk about him and watch his YouTube comps and watch him on Scout, And then 
he pulls on your shirt and you watch him and you just, your eyes open. You see him the right way, right? There's something about watching your team because you know how other players have played in that position and you know how your team plays. And Lakonga looks really silky. The number of times, you know, look, I, I, I have warmed to the importance of Granite Shaka and the quality of Granite Shaka, having maybe not given him his due at times. But the number of times just in this game that Lakonga received the ball on the half turn or no touch turn, and I'm like, yeah, man, that's what we've been missing. No touch turn, away he goes up the pitch, and then a little six-yard dagger ball, you know, right in his own 14, right into the central spaces, the kind of stuff that we're really going to need to add to our game. Now, that doesn't mean he'll do all the other stuff that Chaka has been doing, which is incredible positional discipline at times and the big switches and the the zip balls up the up the wing into the fullbacks overlapping. I mean, he did a lot of important stuff there too. So that's it's not meant to be used as a stick to beat him with, but I was impressed with the way Lakonga looked. Tim just laid out a pretty ambitious need from that position. It would be unfair to expect Lakonga to do that now. Having said that, if you're good enough, you're old enough, and we're expecting Saka to do that now, and Martinelli to do that now, and Smith-Rowe to do that now, so so why not just roll with it? I mean, we're expecting Ben White at 23 to do that now. I do think we have to buy in that position, but from one half of a preseason game, can you please uh, now explain to me how Lukonga <laughs> is ready to be uh, what Tim said he needs to be at, at central midfield for us, please? Yeah, look... Um... It takes a little while before you know what you've really got, but that's never held us back before. <laughs> Fire um, away. <laughs> Lean in. Yeah. I think he's great. Look, I think he's a bit raw. Um, and we will see that across a season and when we're pressed, etc. But you give that guy just a teeny bit of space and he looks great. Um, from the bit I've seen and the, the plenty I've read about him, uh, he passes like a young man. He goes progressive. Like if you think you were missing anything with Genduzi, I think you're going to get all of that basically from Lakanga. Um, combined with the fact he was club captain at the age of 2021. 20, I think I that's mean, a that's, big thing. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you don't want to get overboard on what it means from the bigger picture, but it tells you that the guy himself is serious. Um, that he carries himself, that he's professional, that other people would look to him. So, if we, you know, we don't have to look at his future as captain of the club or whatever. In a sense, at this point, who cares? It means he's not going to fritter away his talent. There's lots of talented 21-year-olds. Not many of them make it to being talented 24-year-olds. He's serious. He's serious business. Um, he's very progressive in his passing up the middle. And we've had a couple of seasons now where what we've got, we've got from going up the sides. And when you look at um, Party and you look at Lakanga, uh, who have seemed to have very, very similar profiles in kind of what their abilities and skills are, uh, Lakanga, like next season, I don't expect him to start a whole bunch of games, but there's loads of minutes to pick up. Danny Sabias played a lot. Uh, Mohamed El Neni played a lot last year in the Premier League. There's loads of minutes for them to pick up, even if we bring in, say, a, a Ruben Neves type. Uh, Let me just party. back you up with numbers yeah. because in the Premier League, between Ceballos and El Neni, you had 3,150 minutes. So it's a lot that those guys played yeah. on top and of our, what Party and Shaka did. Yeah. yeah, and a full season for somebody like Saka 
and holding in Chaka last year was 2,500 minutes. So mm -hmm. that's that's almost a kind of a, a position and a quarter available between those two guys. Now, of course, El Nani is still going to be around, but uh, you know you can adjust the dial on who plays what as the season season goes along and as Lakonga settles in, and if he does well, you let him play. I mean, 21 ain't bad. We got a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old <clears throat> who are basically starters for us. Um, and you don't want lots of kids, but a 21-year-old who was captain, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't be pushing him as a likely starter at the start of the season, but weirder things have happened before the end of the season. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all there for him. There's no reason, there's no reason to stop a guy who's really got it, who's really ready from playing just because he's 21. Uh, well, well, look, you brought yeah. up Ganduzi. I mean, a lot of people don't love Ganduzi in the way that I rated him when he first came in. But I think that first season, he was pretty darn good. He was yeah, 18 and coming from the second division in French football. So, I mean, it isn't impossible. That, look, I'm not saying the club shouldn't go out and buy that Shaka replacement. But I am saying that Lakanga, as a guy who clearly backs himself, I mean, to be the, the club captain at that age, it's not just that you back yourself. It's that other players have to see your talent too, right? Because if a coach names a 20-year-old yep. club captain, you could have a lot of pissed-off professionals in that dressing room. Yep. And so if a 20-year-old can be captain, it also says that your fellow professionals see you as that good, that mature, that ready. So I, I am excited about his prospects. Tim, if I had to disagree with you about that that midfield role, though, being what determines Adu and, and Arteta's future and the club's future. The only reason I would disagree with you is that it might be Stryker that does it. Um, that would mm -hmm. be my only other argument because they gave Aubameyang the bumper new deal. He's 32. He's going to have to come back and have a big, big season. Now, in this game, much like we've seen all preseason, in good positions, just can't finish. Uh, for Chambers' goal, I think it is, he has a bicycle kick that is one of the most acrobatic things you'll ever see. I mean, it's not just the usual bicycle kick. It's like behind him and an angle. I have, did you see that, Tim? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really It wasn't athletic. a Rooney. It wasn't off a shin or something like well, that. And just, just the way he had to reach back for it, it was crazy. But um, you know what? I'm just going to pass on the opportunity to say what's going on with Rooney in the news right now. So we'll just move past him. Not doing it. Just not doing it. Um, right. I floated it there for you. you know, well, to be fair, I'm, I'm I'm five minutes overdue for a Manscaped ad. I, you know what? We're we're just not. I'm not. I am. I have a line. I'm drawing it there. That that's not going to be my transition. But Tim, the the thing with Aubameyang is interesting to me. We are in a very strange situation because Lacazette might go, and if he goes, we have a 32 year old striker. And then a teenage striker who's never played a minute of Premier League football. And another teenager in Martinelli who has played some football, not a ton, and basically never at striker. So you go from like end of prime, post prime 32-year-old and two kids who have never shown you they can do it and nothing in between at a position that can decide your whole season. I'm curious what you think the right answer is at striker because if Lacazette is a guy that we can only get $12 million for or something. I've never been mm. a big Lacazette guy. I think people know that. But he's going to get you 13, 14, 15 goals. He's going to play, you know, good hold-up, possession-oriented football. He's going to harry and press and work hard. He's going to be able to play striker if you want to move Oba out wide, which you know I hate, but he can do it. He can bring you a little something different than Aubameyang brings, and most importantly, just bring you a experienced professional who's played the position before at a reasonably high level at 12 million pounds for a fee or 15 million you say is is that worth it enough to us to be left with a 32 year old and a couple of kids now if you go out and you get a tammy abraham 
who mm-hmm. also has a 15-goal season under his belt, and he's younger, and maybe he has a ceiling. Okay, that's a different debate. But how do you feel about you know, what we do with Lacazette, what we do with the striker position generally, in light of the fact that we very, very much are between a rock and a hard place if Laka goes with a very old guy and two very young guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we either need to just keep Laka, and, unless like unless we get like a really good offer for Lacazette, um, which I, I don't see. I don't see us getting any kind of offer for Lacazette, really. I, I, I think um, we either sign someone, like he goes and we sign someone, or he stays. Um, but he play out a, his contract. It's not the end of the world, yeah. right? You just don't, don't yeah, resign yeah, yeah. him, obviously. But yeah. yeah, indeed. Like like you say, we're not going to get much for him anyway. And you know, he's seen out his contract, and he's th- like again, that's another signing you kind of look at and go, well, when we signed him, we probably weren't really signing him for like a sell on fee. You know, when you sign someone who's like what was he twenty six when we bought him? Like you don't buy guys of that age um, to sell them on you buy guys of that age because you want them to be a fulcrum of your team for four or five years, and he has been. Um, and it's this, it's exactly the same thing uh, with Xhaka. Uh, it's just a question of whether he's been good enough. I think what's really interesting in the striker position is that, as as well as, you know, as you point to, the really poor kind of succession planning and, and squad building that hasn't really happened there because you should not be in a position where you have people at tail and, you know, at, at completely opposite ends of their career like that. I, I think what's really interesting to me um, and here's something I am going to write about uh, this week um, is like, I just, I feel like I don't understand why Arteta was keen on Aubameyang having the contract because everything suggests to me that he doesn't want to play with that kind of striker. Like in preseason, I'm happy enough. Like if Aubameyang's getting chances, I'm always happy because he'll score goals if he gets chances. It's that simple. And if we're playing in a way that means he's getting chances, then cool. But the thing is, and, and this is especially true with the Abraham link, whoever the next striker is, because it's not, you know, Aubameyang and Lacazette are not longed for this Arsenal world. Lacazette will be here one year tops. Aubameyang will be here two years tops. Like, And we should be starting that transition process. Whoever the new kind of number nine ends up being, I bet my bottom dollar it's not going to be a striker anything like Aubameyang. And this is where the interest in Abraham really, really, um, I think, is quite re- revealing because he's much more like Lacazette than Aubameyang. And and I I think what's happening really in this Arsenal squad is what we've got is we've got lots of really good wide forwards who have good end product. And, you know, to your point earlier about what we do with the fullbacks, it looks to me like the, the forward line, the front three, is kind of transitioning more towards a Liverpool style where we've got you know if you have like martinelli and pepe for example as your two wide players or saka and pepe and or you know two of those of those three then really what you what you could get into a situation is where you actually want a number nine that drops away and feeds those guys that is definitely i think what pepe needs i i don't want to see pepe really with the ball until it's in the last 25 yards of the pitch i like I just don't want him. It's almost like a Walcott situation. I mean, he's a different type of player, but it's a similar deal. Like everything about playing Pepe should be leave him out of the game until (laughs) the last 25 yards of the pitch. Um, And so like I question how a Pepe and a Bamiang up front kind of scenario works. I'd question how 
a Martinelli with a Bamiyang up front situation works like. Basically, I think this this team. Are you is thinking moving... of Pepe on the left or the right, or does it matter? Right, on the right, on the right. Yeah, yeah. I, okay. I think he. Yeah, he can play on the left, but um, but yeah. So I think this team's moving away from a Bamiyang, and I think Arteta. I mean, I think Arteta's shown that if he plays a Bamiyang, ideally he'd play him on the left. But really, I don't think he really wants to play with that type of player at all. So I, I feel like there's a mutual drift, really, between Arsenal and Aubameyang. And, but it, it's, the question for Aubameyang is exactly the same as it's been for his whole career, because he's not fantastically rated as a footballer, and he's not a fantastic footballer. He's a fantastic goal scorer, and he can make all of those questions go away just by scoring loads of lovely goals. That's, that's all. Because like, these problems I'm describing, they were there two seasons ago when he won us the FA Cup single-handedly and got us and you know got his contract and everything all of the same guys were still there Martinelli Pepe Lacazette they're all still there and they all still didn't work together but it was let, no one was talking about it because Aubameyang was scoring loads of goals and he won us a trophy and that that's that's what Aubameyang has to do and it's what he's had to do his whole career to get any kind of credit but this isn't just about credit anymore this is about the way the team plays and i'm i'm kind of fascinated by this because i don't think arteta really wants abamyang up front but i think he's kind of got to so i i just don't understand why he gave him the contract essentially and i think um i think the kind of season abamyang has is going to be really really interesting is he going to have another slightly mopey this isn't really working um type season like we saw last year or is this a no, sod this. I've got two years left on my deal. I've, I'm not going anywhere else, so I've got to make this work. So let's go and help myself to loads of lovely goals. Yeah, I think it's a good question. I, I do think generally, if you get the ball in the right places, Aubameyang will be there to finish the chances. I, I still think he can do that. I don't, you know, we, we are absolutely Agreed. not having an age cliff conversation right now. It's too early. It's not the season yet. And I'm not prepared to defend my mentions in that way. I just think I, the position, I agree though. Like, like look at Suarez, Vardy, like I, I don't think you lose, like pace is not what pace is not a Bamiang's, like he's got pace, but that's not what gets him his goals. Like I look at Suarez at Atletico, I look at Vardy uh, with Leicester. Like I agree with you. If we play in a way that suits a Bamiang, He'll, yeah, 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 yeah. Cavani is exactly. a great example because I've yeah, always thought yeah. Oba and Cavani were a good a- analog. Yeah, yeah. And what do they do? They've got Rashford, they've got Martial, they've got Greenwood, they've got all these young guys around him, Fernandez, who just like absolutely flood the box for him. And if you play like that, you'll get, you know, you'll get good Aubameyang. Um, I'm just not convinced that Arteta actually wants to play like that. I don't know. I mean, it's funny, right? Because when you look at giving Aubameyang the new contract, I do think there are times when clubs do things they they probably deep down know. They shouldn't out of the fear of how do we tell the fans we're letting this guy go? <laughs> you know what I mean? I think we gave Ozil a contract because we were losing Alexis. I think we gave Theo a contract because we had just, was it Van Persie we had just lost? Um, and I, I think we gave Oba the contract because things weren't going great for Arsenal. He had won the FA Cup and there was this attitude of like, you can't let him go now. You just can't. Um, but but he is here. The, the funny thing for me with the striker situation is I, I think... Putting your whole season on the line for a 32-year-old to stay fit and play striker is a huge risk. And if the cost of not taking that risk is keeping Lacazette one more season rather than cashing in for like 12 million pounds, you know, look, at a price, every player has to be sold. 
But you could talk me into the idea that the 12 million we'd get for Lacazette is worth so little to us right now in terms of what we'd use it on that you're better off insulating yourself from a situation where Balogun has to start 12 or 15 games. You might say, but Balogun's great. He might be. He might also be Benekafobe. Like, we literally have no idea. Asking a kid who has never, ever played senior football to suddenly have to start a run of games. I mean, Balogun, in my view, has to go on loan, play 30 games at a, you know, at a senior level, and get himself ready. That's the fair thing to do to him, especially given that we don't have midweek football. So... There's a lot more that I want to get to in this, though, because I think, uh, you know, we, we should praise Pepe, who's looking really sharp and really good. I, I think there's some transfer implications that we, we should talk about. I, one thing that I do think, by the way, real quick, when we do our season prediction pods, and you can still look at the bad predictions we made from last season on our website, but I think one of my predictions is going to be that Nuno Tavares plays, I'll say, 300 to 400 minutes at left wing this season at some point. It's every time he comes on, he looks like he could score a goal. And I just, he just doesn't look like a fullback to me. He looks like a really special winger. Um, could you imagine, like, Tierney and Tavares on the left to finish off a game? Yeah, I don't think any defenses want to face that kind of that kind of enthusiasm running, running towards the byline. Um, okay, well, the thing I think that we do want some enthusiasm about, though, Paul, you know what we want to be enthusiastic about, right? Yeah, Wayne Rooney. Oh, for God. Don't Am do I that close? to me. Am no, I close? You're, you are close. I think the one thing that that incident has taught us is that at any particular moment, you may mm. find photographs of yourself on the World Wide Web. Um, you know, maybe you're wearing clothes, maybe you're not. You never know. But the important thing is if you are enthusiastic in your care of, of your, um, how you are trimming yourself, how you are styling yourself, then I think you can be fine with whatever surreptitious photos are taken of you. The point is, you can get the lawnmower 4.0 from Manscaped, and you can have the perfect scenario arise where someone takes your picture, hopefully with your permission, always only with your permission, um, and you can feel good about it. But setting aside the super awkward transitions, they're getting worse. I think I've run out of all the good segues, and I'm only using the bad ones now. Let's talk about the product for a minute, because that'll save me. Uh, the Lawnmower 4.0 is actually a really, really exceptional product. And I mean, here's the thing, right? Ultimately, we do these promotions, they're jokey, they're funny, but like, most of us do some kind of body hair trimming. We do. I mean, it's, you know, talking about it may not be the most fun thing, but we do it. And I think a lot of us do use whatever razor is sitting in the shower or sitting on the vanity or whatever, and it's not a great way to go. So here's this product that has this induction charger. It's wet, dry. It lasts like weeks and weeks and weeks on a single charge. It has skin-safe technology. It uses ceramic blades. It has an LED light so you can see what you're doing. It has guards so you can get the perfect length. There's this like purpose-built, awesome product and we still reach for that rusty razor. I know why we do it, because it's just there and it's convenient. Do this. Go to manscaped.com. Use a promo code ArsenalVision. 20% off. Free shipping. Done. You'll use this thing constantly. And then it won't be that thing where you're like dreading to do it because you know it's going to turn out badly. It'll just be easy. You get it done. You don't have to think about it. Um, the new one, by the way, has a, a travel lock too. So if you throw it in your like bathroom kit and you have to travel somewhere, it's not going to start manscaping the inside of your, your travel kit. It's just a great product. And then they've got the weed whacker if you want to do nose and ears. As you get to my age, those become areas that have to get the attention, sadly, but it's just how it works. Um, you know, and, and, and a company that also supports the Testicular Cancer Society. So a lot of good stuff going on there. You can go to manscaped.com, use promo code Arsenal Vision, get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Uh, we do appreciate them being a part of the podcast, and we do appreciate you tolerating me do this. Tim, is that enough of that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> thanks, thanks, bud. Um, so, well, really, 
important to, you know, I, I think how our season is going to go, Paul, is determining how we want to set up that attack. You know, which players we want to use where. And you've got Nicola Pepe looking really good in preseason, coming off a great finish to last season, where Saka obviously looked a little fatigued, didn't finish strong, but then had a great summer, but also a busy summer, an emotional summer. I think this is a really interesting situation that's going to develop because I would imagine that Nicola Pepe is going to start the season at on the right wing if mm-hmm. Bukayo Saka is ready to start the first game of the season. Now, I don't know how much training time and time back Arteta will demand before he plays him. I know under Arsene Wenger, we probably wouldn't have seen Saka for a little while. Arteta may not feel that way. He may just be like, look, you're back, you're here, you're starting. Which, by the way, could totally understand. Especially with like Martinelli now not there and off at the Olympics. We don't necessarily have that true left winger unless he wants to move Aubameyang back out there. But in your mind, is there a battle for the right wing position? I think if you want to have a meritocracy, if you want things to be fair, um, you know, Pepe looked good at the end of last season. He's been here in preseason. He looks good in preseason. That it's his position and Saka maybe has to play on the left until something changes. But, you know, maybe, maybe that's not how it should be. Maybe that's not fair to Saka. I mean, do you have a sense of how that front three might shake out around Aubameyang? Um, yeah. Um, I've been surprised how poorly Pepe has linked up with Aubameyang. We've seen memorable examples burn etched in our, our conscious of Pepe floating it to the back post and Aubameyang getting onto it. He can deliver a really good ball, but he didn't do much of it last year, even though I think we remember the second half of his season being particularly good, but he's all goals and not much assists, not much key passes. Mm, true. <clears throat> and I think we need to be patient with Arteta, with Pepe, in the sense that uh, Pepe should absolutely be competing with Saka. Saka should not come straight back into the team for his own good, for the for the good of how a team dynamic should work. This should be Pepe's starting spot from the start of the season because he's here, he's playing well, hopefully he's played in and, you know, there'll be plenty of opportunities for Saka to get in and play in games. It doesn't have to be only one guy. There are tactical choices to make. But on the other hand, if Pepe wants to hold the right wing position, then he, you know, I'd maybe go against the view that Pepe should only be played in a certain kind of a way. If you want to play on the right wing, or on the left wing, and you want to start that to be your spot as a starter, game in, pretty much game out, you need to be able to play as a wide forward, but also you need to be able to guy whose job it is in this particular game to stretch the pitch, to stand on the touchline, to get chalk on your boots, to connect the play, to connect with the overlapping fullback, to do far more than just be a wide striker. Now, that's not the wisest thing to ask Walcott to do, but it's not like Pepe doesn't have the skills. Um, he, he may not have the tendencies, but he certainly has the skills for everything that's required here. We think of him as very left-footed, but that's because he's got a wand of a left foot. Um, we've also seen him doing great things in terms of passes, crosses, shots with his right foot too. So it's all about... Uh, him developing his game, listening to his coach, and learning to be more than just a predatory striker when we get him into the box. He's got to be able to do what Mares does. He's got to be able to stretch the play right, play clever, 
cre- create triangles, make runs, go to the byline if he needs to, um, and also in other games be more of a wide forward. And, you know, look at the flexibility with Smith-Rowe. Saka can certainly do all of that. Now, Saka needs to up his scoring, as does Smith-Rowe, and taking more shots. But Saka's a, the reason Saka was basically a starter every game is because he can play whatever role you want him to play on the right, let alone the left. And Pepe, interestingly, has looked very interesting from the left because that leads into him going to the byline and putting in crosses. But also, he's looked pretty good dribbling uh, towards the box, infield, cutting inside and getting shots off with his right foot. So, you know, the, these guys who want to play week in, week out and kind of hold down a starting position need to be able to do more than just one way of playing. We're going to be more flexible. Uh, we're going to adjust tactically. We're not going to do the same thing against Liverpool that we're going to do against the Fulham of this year. Um, and we'll have to have different ways of playing. And it's Pepe's, but I don't buy the we need to play Pepe the way he would want to be played. He's got to grow. He's got to develop. And I think we're starting to see some of that. Uh, but he's also got to be a creator. Yeah, I, it's ultimately the case of having a lot of talent that's young and needs to develop and having some talent that's older and is is aging out. And then this one guy, right, in Pepe, who's just entering his prime, that's the guy that should be the fulcrum of the whole attack in some ways, right? Expensively yeah. acquired, super talented, entering his prime, ready to really break out, and everything else should be pivoting around that. Maybe the 32-year-old starts to age out of the team and the 18- and 19-year-old and 20-year-olds get eased in. And in a way, it's like, the prime age guy is the guy who's trying to nail down his place and make himself yeah. the established guy in the team, which is sort of a, a weird reversal, I think. Yeah, uh, but the, the thing about Maras, though, is interesting because he didn't come into uh, City that young. Uh, I don't know what it was, something like 25, 26 he came in there. But, I mean, he's definitely been asked to do all sorts of different things for them in terms of the role. You know, he's drifting in as a 10 at times, or sorry, more more accurately, a kind of an attacking eight. He's the wide player. He's the attacker. He goes to the byline. He creates all sorts of chaos over on the right, but difficult, different tactical schemes. And I don't think it's the worst model for what Pepe would be asked to do and grow over the next couple of years. I, I hope Pepe has a glorious long career with Arsenal because it's the only way we justify the fee in the end. But I mean, if he just gets, if he's a learning machine and gets better and better each year, uh, the guy, there's nothing he can't do. I don't think in terms of his game, he can dribble. Uh, He's got an eye for a creative pass. Um, World-class finisher. He can play with either foot, though he obviously leans heavily on the left. So, um, you know, maybe he can't be quite as flexible as Mares, but there's there's a heck of a lot of scope for him to develop his game uh, while playing for us. Yeah, I, I well, Tim, I mean, do you, do you want to weigh in on that? Because one of the things I, I kind of wanted to ask you about is, you know, w- what you think will be the fate of the returning players in Martinelli and Saka, two players that I think mm. we have big, big hopes for this season. You know, Saka 
has already delivered on, on a lot of those hopes, and we expect will continue to. Martinelli may be still a little more hype than proof, although I, I think that will change quickly. I mean, how do you think that their late return will impact their introduction and the decisions that Arteta makes up front? I think the form of Pepe um, makes that kind of less of a question, and it means we can afford to ease uh, one or both of them in, um, which which is really, really valuable. And then they get the chance to return the favour in January when Pepe will probably be at the African Nations. And so in that respect, you know, effectively we've we've got three players we all really, really like there, kind of for two positions, um, which isn't a terrible situation to be in by any means. Um, and you can rotate within that, you know, to, to, I know that Clive would be saying if he was on the pod, you can make substitutions as well. That's the thing you can do. <laughs> oh, I don't um, know about that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, there, um, but there is a sense, I think, that, we, you know, we're going to need, because of the the, the respective international situations, we, we're going to need, like, there's going to be the first few games of the season, probably not really Saka or Martinelli available, or at least not available to start. And then in the middle of the season, you're not going to have Pepe there. So, like, it kind of only becomes a question for um you know well it's it's not going to be a question for um for those periods of the season anyway um but i i i do think it's it's really interesting how he manages that and also like with saka it's um it's what what do you want to do with this guy now do you want him you know do you want him to be your right winger and he's been really really good there he was really good for england there but i think the thing that was kind of interesting about saka one of the reasons I think Saka became so important to Arsenal, same reason he became so important to England, because both teams have ball progression issues. Um, England have a midfield that, you know, Calvin Phillips is a nice passer. Declan Rice can kind of carry the ball, but it's not an elite midfield um, by any stretch of the imagination. I think that's being polite. Yeah, I, I technically, yeah. at least, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, they play for Leeds and West Ham, and, and that doesn't make them better. Like, they're good players, but they're, they're not defen They're defensive players. players, first and foremost, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so the reason Saka became so important, like, South Southgate really liked him, same reason Arteta really likes him, because we had ball progression issues as well, and Saka can hide some of those because he's so good at turning away and making those kind of knifing runs, and he gets you, he gets you from the middle third to the kind of end third. He, I guess a little bit like Cazorla, like he feels like that cheap player in a way mm. where it's like, yeah, these guys can't really progress, but this guy can like run with it and he can hide a little bit of that. Big thing it will be did for us, by the way, too, yeah. but he didn't have the end product. Yeah, yeah, exactly that, exactly that. And so, the, I mean, this is another reason where like um, the, the Xhaka replacement and, you know, parties form, if those guys start progressing the ball far better, then, you know, do... Do we and we want to move to like a four three three? Does Saka then become like a, a third central midfielder? I I'd really like to see him there. I I I think that that's where I really see see his future. Um, but I, I I'm not. I don't think that definitely has to happen next season. But I I do see a future for him there. Um, and I think the the thing that's really interesting about a player like Saka when you have a player like that who's really good in several positions is what you can kind of afford to do is say, all right, what do we need most? Because he could be an elite kind of inside forward. Um, he could be an elite fullback. Uh, I don't think we definitely don't need him to do that, I don't think. Or he could, you know, he could be that like Di Maria, Seydorf type, um, or, or even like David Silva. Well, I think Smith Rowe would be more like a David Silva, but you know, that, that kind of 
um, enterprising number eight in a midfield three. And I think what Arteta can maybe afford to do is say, well, that's our position of need um, more than more than any other. So it it, it is interesting. Um, and, and I've said for a while, I think Arsenal have some really interesting attacking options. And, and I think we have quite a bit of depth up there. Like that attack should not be finishing eighth. Um, and I, and I don't and I don't think it's their fault that we finish eighth. I think a lot of our issues are down to maybe lack of trust in the defence in the past and ball progression issues and things like that. But I look at that attack and I think that you know just put those names down. They could finish in the top four, no problem with that attack. So if we can fix what's behind them, I think that's the the biggest question really, fixing what's behind them. And yeah, and let's just let like Saka and Pepe fight it out. Um, on the right, Let, let's you know, let's rotate them if you want to. Maybe you play Pepe to beat up on the little guys. Maybe you play Saka in 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 that position in the bigger games. Maybe you look at it the other way around and say, well, actually, um, when we've got fewer chances, Pepe's our best finisher, and I think he is. Um, maybe we play him in the big games because we accept that we're not going to have as much of the ball, and having someone who can find the top corner from 25 yards is pretty useful in those situations. <laughs> can so, be in many situations. I think yeah, so. yeah, indeed. Um, so, so I, I do think it's it's really, really interesting. But I also think it's the part, it, the number nine. We we have to give some thought to. The rest, I think, is kind of almost plain old evolution. It, we've got the pieces there, and it will work itself out. I think what we do behind that is is really is really the important thing and i think the rest yeah. will probably just come down to form it's really the martinelli thing really really upsets me because he is such an important player for us i i think if he gets any kind of run of games he will never come out of the side and here was a chance where we don't really you know the funny thing is we don't have a clear-cut left-wing option if you think of saka and pepe as guys who would both we'd prefer to play on the right and Aubameyang is a guy who we are moving away from using on the wing, then we don't have a left winger. We really don't. It's Martinelli's job to, to win and to keep. And then he goes to the Olympics, which means we, I mean, we legitimately may not see him be in a team until into October. I think that's probably stretching it, let's be honest, as I do. But September, certainly. Because uh, when when will he be back from the Olympics? Mid, I think mid-August? Yeah, I mean, it finishes on, I think, the 6th of August. So. That's quicker than I thought, maybe. So, I mean, I guess, I mean, depending on how fast you want to rush him back and given that he's not really playing for Brazil, maybe, maybe, maybe you could be put him in a team right at the beginning of the season. But realistically, he can't He can't just go make that job his in preseason, which is a shame. But, I mean, it's ironically, by the way, why I think it won't surprise me, maybe not as a starter, but on 70 minutes or something, we see Nuno Tavares come on to be a left winger because... We don't really have a clear-cut option for that. It's all complicated by the fact, by the way, that Lacazette has looked really good in preseason. Really hungry, really effective. I love the little dummy for the Pepe goal. And Pepe doesn't do tap-ins. He has to step on the ball and smash it into the corner, which I love. And then the beautiful little drag-back back heel to Willian for the Balogun goal. I mean, Lacazette is just doing it. He's balling out in preseason. Now, balling out in preseason can often mean absolutely nothing. But he is doing it. And... You know, I think taking that out of the team and saying, all right, now you got Aubameyang and a couple of kids, yeah, it's a little scary. These are all situations, though, that I'd like to be a little clearer than they are as we are getting ready to tip over into August. And so as we say that, Paul, I think it is pretty expected that Ben White gets announced this week. Mm -hmm. It does look like we're going for Aaron Ramsdale. There will be a time and a place for us to give 
the full verdict on that as a move. I hate it, but we can explain why we like it or we hate it, and hopefully everyone will be open to hearing a discussion about that. I, I did say this on Twitter, and I do think this is true. If the only way you evaluate a transfer is saying why it's terrible or why it's great, you're probably not evaluating it right. Every transfer has an upside, and every transfer has a downside. Now, balancing those and determining which is the lion's share of that transfer is important, right? We saw, uh, Tim and I were on this podcast, so you saw some downside to the party transfer. It doesn't mean we hate the transfer, and it doesn't mean the upside doesn't outweigh it. People didn't love that, <laughs> if I remember correctly. But I think it is the point that with all of these moves, with any of them, whether it's Willian or Pepe and Party or Ben White or Ramsdale, sort of looking at the, the holistic the move holistically, 360 degrees and seeing the upside and the downside is important. But like those moves look like they're going to get done. And then after that, there's a lot of ambiguity. Will Lacazette go? Will Shaka go? Are you developing any concern as we move towards August that there's still quite a bit of, of answers that have to be sorted out? And I think with respect to Shaka and Lacazette, Paul, those are, those are not fringe players that we might be moving out of the team. Those are guys who soak up a lot of minutes and play really important roles the decision to sell them and potentially need to replace them is one that, you know, is going to have a big, big impact on our season. These aren't, these aren't like, hey, we might move Maitland-Niles on, with all due respect to Maitland-Niles. So with those moves in particular, do you have a concern that we are starting to leave it late enough that it could be disruptive to the start of the season? Yeah, definitely have a concern. <clears throat> um, it's not necessarily that anybody's doing anything wrong and it's in the nature of transfer windows, and in particular, COVID-related transfer windows, when no bastard has any money out there to buy your players, there's no movement, everything's a loan deal, or a uh, players running down their contracts, or people playing chicken between all of the possible options, and it's just really difficult for clubs to get moves done. So the one thing we absolutely have to get is clarity quickly on the Chaka situation. I mean, look, he's going to go. He's going to go to uh, uh, play with Jose Mourinho, and we're going to need a uh, midfield replacement for him. And I assume we have a very clear target lined up. Who knows we're coming for him, but we can't say much about it till we get the deal over the line because we can't buy him till we sell Chaka. Otherwise, we'll have party Chaka and the new fella and without the money for it uh, and not enough games for them. So it's Chaka first. I assume they're trying to keep their interests in whoever it is as quiet as humanly possible at the moment. Maybe it's a good sign we're not hearing much about what happens next because maybe the other person and his agent has the good sense to keep that quiet on their side so that it can accelerate rapidly without a whole bunch of bullshit. Uh, or maybe we got nothing going on there. The Ruben Neves situation is dead. He's off to United or some other thing, but maybe it's still Ruben Neves. We won't. Maybe the reason it's all Ruben Neves and United is because Arsenal and Ruben Neves are keeping it very, very quiet uh, to kick into gear once things happen. You wouldn't know. So we'll go from being very concerned right now to maybe having another Ben White situation where he knows, we know, they know what's going to happen next and they just got to get over the line. Um, that's the key one for me. If we sort uh, out the Chaka situation and his replacement with a really good option there, 
Um, I think everything after that is not quite gravy, but we, we, you know, if there's three or so deals to happen after that, any two of three is probably pretty good. Nothing's uh, life-threatening or essential. If we have to wait another year to get a a top-class goalkeeper (laughs) and we get a a good low knee in the meantime, I can live with that. Similarly with all the other positions, if Tammy Abraham comes up and he fits our profile, we should absolutely do that. Um, But if he doesn't, then you keep with Lacazette. I think we've We've optionality in all the other positions, even if it's not perfect. They don't all get done, but we got to fix the CMDM position there with uh, a Chaka replacement. Yeah, I think optionality is the key word there. But I, I also I also think that one of the problems at Arsenal over the last few years has maybe been a bit too much optionality. If you follow me, in the sense of needing players I don't to nail, yet, but I'm about to <laughs> need, needing players to nail down specific role. Like, yeah, I know. It's tough because the reality of modern football is that you need to be able to do some rotation and, and move players around. I still would like to see Arsenal have more of a recognized first 11. Did I read correct? I think yeah. an optostat that there was only, we repeated the same 11 only twice last season. Yeah, or basically. Once? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A, du- a duplicate in across two games, every other game. I guess that leaves, what, 36 games where the lineup was different. In the subsequent yeah. yeah. I mean that and to me I don't I don't see how that can be good. I'm not saying that a little rotation can't be good, but that feels like too much. Now admittedly, look, a lot of that is red cards and injuries and things that are beyond his control. And so I think we can finish then Tim though with a position that's really interesting to me and that is the 10/8 mm-hmm. depending on how we go system wise. Mm-hmm. Because you know, a lot of people would say, well, it's not, you're saying we don't necessarily need to buy a 10, but you're also saying we maybe need to keep Lacazette. It's not consistent. If you think we need Lacazette, why do we need to buy a 10? And the only thing, I, or why don't we need to buy a 10? The only thing I would say is there's a difference between saying, I'd rather we keep Lacazette than sell him for a nominal fee yep. versus saying, I think we should spend 60 million to add a player in to support Smith Rowe, right? Those are yep. different calculations. Emil Smith Rowe looks straight fucking awesome this summer. And I think he is a player. If you told me any one of Martinelli, Smithrow, or Saka turned out to be our best of that trio, I'd believe you. Smithrow is getting in the box. He should have had another goal in this game. It was well saved. He had a goal in the previous game. I think the end product is coming. I think his his quality is, is clear to see. The worry with him, of course, is injury. But the question becomes, if it's not a 4-3-3, if we're not going to have twin eights, what are you going to do with a 60 million James Madison, who also, yeah. by the way, has some significant injuries. I think he had a bit of his hip bone shaved down or something like that. You never mm-hmm. like bone shaving in general, if you can avoid it. Um, as much as we love Manscaped on this pod, it's not for bones. So I guess that position to me is the interesting one. I, I don't think we'd have any surprise. And I think I'm right in saying, Tim, you may have picked Smith Rowe as a breakout player last season. Yep. Um, Paul, I know you did as well. How would you handle that? A young player who looks poised to break out, a player without whom, prior to the Chelsea game last season, we looked like a relegation-level team, you know, not having a 10 mm. that we could plug in there. But then potentially spending as much as $60 million to get a pretty good experienced Premier League pro to maybe just be in a rotation with him. I find that position really difficult to assess. Do you have a clearer view of it? Yeah, I, I wouldn't buy James Madison um, for right, that kind high of five. money. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I like. I, I like James Madison. I think he's a decent player. I, I share your concerns about his fitness. Um, you know, and he's he's had some off pitch troubles um, as well. I I think I think actually that you know the Smith Rowe contract and and everything around it. So you know him getting the number ten, Aston Villa bidding for him, and things like that. Everything around it suggests that a lot of this. And the reason it perhaps didn't get done earlier was because he was looking for some level of reassurance about about playing time and things like that. And I think certainly what would have worked for him with Aston Villa bidding all the time was that certainly, well, that helps with your wages, doesn't it? Because um, if you're turning down, you know, 25, 30 million bids, you kind of say, ah, so you you thought that was a laughable bid for me. So what kind of salary do you think I deserve then? Um, but I, I, I sense that there was a lot of that, that that was what maybe that I don't know if it's too much to call it a delay, but it seemed like there was a bit of a delay in signing. And I do think a lot of it was, you know, I, I want a show of faith um, that I'm going to still get kind of as many minutes as I was getting last season, really. And that that's a really difficult position for Arsenal to be in, in a sense, because it's like, well, OK, but we want to finish a bit higher than eighth. So, actually, we need really good players and we need competition and things like that. I, I mean, just for the record, Stan doesn't care if we do, but I think as fans, well, yeah, we would like yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, and, and the players do as well, because yeah, yeah, if we yeah, keep, <laughs> if, if Smith Rowe plays every game, but we keep finishing eighth, he'll, he'll go eventually. Um, but I, I think I think that's why Arsenal were interested in Buendia. I think Buendia, and the reason I came around to the idea of signing Buendia was because I, I felt like it was a bit of a drop in sights, but a very justifiable one because that was, you know, it was a more kind of cost-effective deal. And Buendia, he can play in other positions as well. And you can almost plug him in a bit like we did with Erdgaard, um last season. And, and by the way, I, I don't think that deal is entirely dead. I do think that that is one that maybe, you know, Real Madrid probably haven't entirely made up their minds and it might depend on who they buy. Like I said at the beginning, I think kind of Erdegaard, Willock, some of this stuff's tied in and it'll all kind of shake out in the last week of the window or so. Mm. Um, I, I still think Arsenal would like to get Erdegaard and precisely because they they foresee a way that both Erdegaard and Smith Rowe can play. Uh, and I'm sure that figured in part of the conversation as well. The kind of, well, look, even if we buy another number 10, you know, you'll, you'll get your time as like a wide forward and things like that. So um, I, I do think that that's a position we shouldn't be looking at spending 60, 70 million on. Maybe, you know, 20, 25, 30, whatever. Um, but then again, I'd, I'd, unless, unless it's Odegaard, because we know that Odegaard and Smith Rowe can kind of play together um, when necessary. So th there are some calculations to be made there. I think the other thing that's interesting about the Smith Rowe thing is there's lots of talk both from him and Arteta about him scoring more goals. And this is something we've um, talked about a lot. And I, I, I have quite a lot of faith that he can do that, having seen him at youth level. And, and I do also think that there's a little bit from Arteta's side you know, I, I guess putting that pressure on him quite publicly, that, that I think there's a little bit of, okay, you've got your contract, you've got your number 10 shirt, we're probably not going to sign James, James Madison now, we're probably going to lower our sights, but now, you, now you're now you in our debt. We were in your debt last season because you came into this team and saved it, and you had two years left on your deal and you had all the power in that situation and fair fucks to you, and the number 10 was available and you wanted it, okay, you've got it all. Okay, now now it's give back time. Um, and if you're going to be a regular in this team, 
we want you getting into double figures for goals and getting more assists and things like that. Because so. Arteta needs him not only to score goals, but to score goals next season and not just next season, in the first four months of next season. Yep. Like, if he proves himself a great goal scorer next May, that's not super helpful for a manager who many people are saying needs to perform by de- December, January, yep. um, or we should reconsider. So he needs... You know, he needs creativity and he needs goals in the first half of the season. And I just think this was a lot of pressure to put on Smithrow. We're at where we're at. Uh, mm-hmm. But if I'm Arteta, I would want an Odegaard option in there too. Yeah. Uh, and it wouldn't be any harm for Smithrow. Can know, I say like, something a little bit yeah. you might find silly though, Paul, about that? Yeah. I actually think adding an Odegaard could take goals out of the side. And I, I think this is where team dynamic becomes really, really relevant. Because I think if we add Odegaard, we know that Arteta likes playing Smith-Rowe off the left. It gives him that jugo de position kind of thing he can do, right? Because he can stay on the left and drift into the box in the channel and, and have some creativity there, and Tierney can overlap, but he can come central and kind of link up with midfield. I, I get it. I like it. But if you put Odegaard in there and Smith-Rowe and Saka and Aubameyang, I see a team that still may not have the end product. Where the alternative mm. is, let's say you don't get Odegaard. Just follow me through here, and then you can tell me why this is wrong. You don't get Odegaard. And Smithrow plays the 10, where he will crash the box. He will make the second man run. He will get in there, I think, even more than Odegaard does. But now you need a left winger in addition to Oba and Saka. And so it's Pepe, or it's Martinelli. And so now you have Martinelli, Pepe, Aubameyang, and Smithrow. Or Pepe, mm-hmm. Saka, Aubameyang, and Smithrow. Instead of Smithrow and Odegaard, and only two of those other guys. And I really do think that if you can get Martinelli and Pepe in the side more, those guys, in my view, have more goals in them than the alternative. So by adding an Odegaard, if you're playing Smith-Rowe and Odegaard, I think even though you have a, a more technical team, maybe a slightly more creative team, I think in terms of guys that will score you goals, you're leaving one of your better goal scorers out every game. So I think that that addition, even though it adds quality, and, and if Smith-Rowe's hurt, I get it, then it really helps you. I think on a game-to-game basis, it could lead to fewer goals being scored potentially. Yeah, well, I don't want to be rushed into having to agree with you, but that <laughs> That sounded quite smart. All right. And All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but I mean, because uh, yeah. if you look at goal scorers, right? Like, Paul, I love Bukayo Saka. I think Pepe's more of a natural goal scorer. That doesn't mean he's a better player. I just think he has more end product. I love Smith Rowe, and I think he will score goals. But I think Martinelli is an end product monster. He's more of a goal scorer. So you yeah. start to say, how do I piece this together where I get the right amount of technical skill and creativity? But I don't just have one goal scorer sitting there in the middle in Aubameyang, who's 32. You know what I mean? It's it's a really important balance because as talented as all those guys are, some of them are more end producty. I think. Yeah, I did like the Buendia. I agree with everything there. Um, I did like the Buendia move for the reasons Tim said. He brings goals and assists. He tends to play from the right, leaving uh, kind of the, the center and the left to... Smith Rowe, I could really see that kind of working together, but there's not that many Buendias. And of course, that then you're making a choice if you're playing Buendia and he's kind of a, a right or kind of in the right channel. You're, you're still kind of picking him ahead of Pepe and moving Saka across. So there are no easy answers Isn't here. Isn't that Basically, why Awar is so compelling, though? Because he's not yeah. that expensive. He's fairly young. Yeah. If you decide he's not the best option on a given day, you just choose yeah. that. But once you spend $60 million on James Madison or $50 million on Odegaard, you're probably writing their name in pen on the team sheet in a way you don't have to with Awar. But Awar 
potentially brings that kind of, I can play eight, I can play left, I can play 10, I have end product, but I'm 20 million euros and I'm young. And if you don't play me, it's not the end of the world. Yes, though I do think that's a great spot for Smith Rowe to play too. So you have that overlap there. But yeah, uh, Awar brings the progression, carries, dribbles. Uh, he's a shooter, a little bit more than an assister, and we need goals um, and will be a wonderful option to have in there, of course. A bit like Madison, there's the issues beyond how he plays when he plays well in terms of of what kind of the holistic footballer you're buying there. But uh, if they just had a look at a war and said, yeah, uh, this guy's going to be okay for us at that price. And with his abilities, uh, he'd be a great addition to the team. But, um, and there's, you know, there's substitutions, there's rotations, there's different tactical lineups, but that would make you, uh, lean into the idea that two attacking eights might be a very good thing because he's more that attacking eight than a 10 for sure for me. There is a world where Arteta got the job at the wrong time. And what I mean is he's now going into his, let's call it third season, with a decent amount of pressure based on what happened last season, a second consecutive eighth place finish. But look at the team. Lukonga, right? Uh, uh, Smith Rowe, Saka, Martinelli. Balogun maybe a little bit away. Um, you know, Tierney's still relatively young. Ben White coming in. You're looking at a team starting to form that two, three seasons from now, as those guys all hit their prime together and with a few really savvy moves to go with it, something really special is building here. But now yeah. you have a coach who maybe doesn't have the benefit of time on his side in the way he might like, given that he's got a young project forming. And I'm hoping that that, 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 that we can still be patient and let that develop because that core is really exciting. Um, and I'll sort of leave that with you, Tim, as a final word, which is just, I think we all agree that those, those young guys become the excitement for the future for a coach who maybe has to look at winning now a little bit. Where Smith Rowe is concerned, would you be comfortable really giving him the keys and not, not adding someone to support him there? I mean, how do you feel about how much responsibility we can give him realistically? I'd still want to add someone there. I, I I do think it's complicated. I I think the reason the Buendia deal didn't come off is probably because a, you know, we maybe sold it to him as we'll rotate you a bit with Smith Rowe, whereas Villa were like, we'll You're the man. give you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that also meant the Villa were willing to go to a higher price um, mm -hmm. than Arsenal were. Um, so it, it is complicated. I I would and, and timing right. It was probably a little. We were still working out Odegaard, this, yeah, that, and the yeah. other. So it was probably just a little early. And Villa put the pedal to the metal. They they knew then was the time. It was just before the Euros as well. And I think we were hoping to kick the can down the road. So I think yeah. timing. It'd be definitely. really interesting to see what happened right now if it came up again. Yeah, definitely. I, I think this is one of those things that if it gets sorted at all, it will be deadline day type stuff. And that that's why I think Willock's tied into it. I don't think Arsenal will let Willock go until they have someone in this position and if they don't then i think and it would don't get me wrong it would be less than ideal because willock's a very different type of player um however i think we'd hold on to willock if we don't secure another number 10 and then we'll just say look for better or for worse or at least until january we're putting it on smith row and, and willock will be the backup um in that position so i but i i would i think that is something like right back i'm fine with kicking that um into touch until next summer 
I mean, goalkeeper, I, I kind of get it because we already <laughs> kicked that can down the road last summer. Um, striker, you know, if it gets sorted this summer, great, but that's probably one of those where it's next summer and next summer you have to do it. I, I do think we have to do something in this position. It's not quite as urgent as Xhaka replacement. It's not even as urgent as it was this time last year. Because the thing is as well, it's not like we're going to be in the same position probably this time next year. Like Smith Rowe's not like 28 or 29 uh, where you can go, well, you know, we'll just let him do this for one more year. Like, like he's 20, 21. Like that's it. Like we've put the next few years into him. So it, it's a bit like the Tierney replacement, right? That The, the situation is going to be the same for several years. So if you can sort it this summer, you've kind of got to sort it this summer. You've you've got to find that solution. But as I said, I do understand it's not easy, but I, I would feel uncomfortable, um, particularly from a fitness standpoint um, with Smithrow. I think I'd be a lot of pressure to put on him. We've already spoken about the additional pressure that's probably on him. Physically, that would put him under pressure as well because another part of that conversation would be your body has to stand up to this as well. I, I can't have you unavailable um every three or four weeks so um yeah it's 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 one of the more complicated ones but then again i thought that the tierney backup was my view at the beginning of the summer was don't even bother because it's just going to be so difficult let's just have saka as the backup left left wing back and we found someone so Mm -hmm. um you know maybe we can do that again but if we do i think it will happen very late in the window yeah i mean it it's tough right because everybody wants to sign great players and yet there's an argument that with where Smith Rowe is concerned, if you can find a guy who's there when we need him, but isn't moving players like Smith Rowe or Saka or Pepe or Martinelli out of the side, that's ideal. That's a really tough needle to thread. It's one of the reasons why I like Dewar because I think potentially prodigious talent at a potentially very manageable fee and a young age gives you a little more of that flexibility. It, it is a case right where, if we had Europe this season, there'd be no debate. We'd just be addressing these situations because you couldn't yeah. make it through all the games and, otherwise. And I do think we got to take that two-year view. I mean, we might have some unhappy people this year, but that's okay as long as we make it into Europe and we can say... That's a really good point, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that, that's a really good point, Paul. Sorry, I mean, I think... Uh, do you want to finish that thought or was that basically the, the end point of that? <laughs> no, that was as good as that thought was going to get. It was a great one, though. No, I think you're right. I It is... It is incumbent upon the club to sort of plan for being back in Europe next season, but the plan falls apart if you're not, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, as usual, everything rides on the season ahead. We wouldn't have it any other way. Let's leave it there. It's Chelsea at the weekend, and I always hate when you've got a, a preseason game against a team that you're playing early in the season. I, I don't know. I, there's just something about that where I feel like it becomes a cat and mouse not to sort of show your hand too much to the opposition, give them anything they can use or learn from. Um, so we'll see how Arteta handles that. But, you know, it is getting to be more that part of the preseason where we'll see more minutes being put into the real first-team players and a more intense level of competition and have a little better sense of where we are. But I did really enjoy the Millwall game, and I, I, I think that there was a lot of good to come out of that, a lot more encouraging. I know the level is what it is, and I, I realize, again, it's still preseason, but based on what we saw in Scotland and the step-up we saw against Millwall, looks like a nice progression. And maybe just maybe not going to Florida without the travel, um, without some of the, the things that go along with that kind of travel and those prestige friendlies, the team will have a chance to just gel a little bit more. you got to find these silver linings. That's what I'm known for anyway. We'll leave it there. We'll have more later on in the week. 
Uh, and throughout the week over on the Patreon side, I will let you know that the FCAs are uh, handing out their best podcast awards. And so if you'd like to vote for us, you can. You can go to the pinned tweet on our uh, Twitter account at Arsenal V Podcast. Literally, all you have to do is write like a sentence. You can copy and paste it and tweet it out. And it votes. Uh, and, you know, or don't. Either way, we're just happy that you're here. Seriously, as we work through our preseason issues, working through some audio issues, which we're going to try to fix so that Clive's voice can be uh, nice and audible so that rich baritone isn't lost in the muck of all the other senseless stuff we're talking about and, and all that. Uh, still looking forward to Vegas. All, all systems still go for that. So we look forward to seeing you there if you're able to make it. And uh, all continuing, we'll have the um, Arsenal Foundation fundraiser coming up. There's a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff as the preseason rolls on. Tim's on Twitter. So better. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo. My name is Ellie Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, we really do love you for being here and, and for being a part of everything. And as I said, if you do want to sign up for uh, an opportunity to work with us on a limited series, we'd love to hear from you. You can do that right on the main uh, website. You'll see the link for that. So in any case, we'll leave it there and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Chelsea Nil. Nice.